0: All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. And uh, we're glad that you've joined us. We are uh, journeying with Jesus this summer. Last week, we journeyed with Jesus, with Peter, with James, and John up onto the mountain of transfiguration where the three disciples, the inner circle they were called, sometimes uh, miraculously saw a revelation of the radiant and eternal glory of Jesus. God God showed them something that they had not seen to that point. And also they caught a glimpse, we saw, of the eternal majesty, the greatness, the kingship of Jesus. They just saw that for a moment, the greatness and the majesty of the only begotten Son. Life-changing stuff. And so they're on top of this mountain, the mountain of transfiguration, and they're trekking down and on the way down, they're asking Jesus some questions that have to do with that experience about, uh, you know, you'll remember they saw Moses and Elijah, kind of a weird deal, we said, and, and they're asking questions about Elijah and why, they say, why the uh, Old Testament messianic prophecy say that Elijah would come first and all of this. And basically Jesus kind of interprets some things and helps them to see that in a way John the Baptist coming as a precursor or a forerunner to Jesus was the fulfillment of that messianic prophecy that Elijah would come first just like John the Baptist came first in the wilderness and announcing that the Messiah was coming. But Jesus as he has done already in the book of Mark and he does it multiple times he's telling them to keep some things secret at this point this messianic secret, Jesus warns the disciples that saw that. He said, I don't want you to tell anybody about what you saw up on that mountain until my death and my resurrection. And they're struggling still with this idea that Jesus is going to die and what in the world does he mean by resurrection? And you have to say that Jesus many times spoke in mysterious ways. He spoke using illustrations and and things and parables that were sometimes not terribly clear. And so the disciples are still a little bit trying to figure out what all Jesus is talking about. What does he mean by death, by resurrection? And as Jesus and the inner circle, these three, come down to the base of the mountain, something is going on. They meet back up with the rest of the disciples and there's a commotion. And there's a crowd, and there's arguing going on. The scribes are disputing with the disciples about something. And Jesus comes to that crowd, and he says, what's going on? What's what's all the commotion about, basically? And a man in the crowd steps forward, and he tells Jesus, this is what has happened. He says, I've brought my son, my son who has been afflicted by a spirit since boyhood, my son who many times is seized by this spirit and thrown down, he, has a, he is mute, can't speak, and he has severe seizures and clenching of his teeth, and I brought him, Jesus, to you, but we couldn't find you, and so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cast out or drive out the spirit. Man. So, in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, Mark, the dramatic tension is really building. There are these secrets, and now the disciples are seeing some things, and they come to the crowd, and there's some strange things going on, and they're a little bit baffled. Sandwiched right between the transfiguration, which is this momentary glimpse into the glory of Christ, and now what's going to come, and we'll look at in the in the month of August, which is the passion narrative, the cross of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection, there's a bit of a surprising theme. And that is Jesus' ministry to children. These great things, the transfiguration and the cross and the resurrection, and now we see Jesus dealing with children. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. Children's ministry according to Jesus. For the past 50 to 70 years at least, Many, a vast number, maybe most American churches have embarked on some sort of ministry to children, our church among them. In fact, next Sunday night, and for John, how how many nights we do in VBS? Three or four. Four nights. We're going to do vacation Bible school. It's not going to be very long. We're going to kick back up with our awana program training children with the gospel of Christ to learn. The scriptures and those things, we're going to be kicking that off again this fall. And so we have children's ministries. They're important. They're not unimportant. They're not peripheral. This study then is timely and relevant as we get ready for vacation Bible school and the things that we'll continue to do. But it's also helpful because it lifts us up out of 21st century America out of our traditions and programs and routines and things that we just sometimes do without questioning and takes us back 2,000 years to the time of Jesus and we see how he did children's ministry. Does that surprise you to know that in some ways we could say Jesus was a children's minister? Now that's not all he did, but he did do that. And for Mark 9 and 10, we're going to glimpse Three different episodes, and we're going to learn a particular lesson with each that Jesus taught to his first disciples, and that we need to hear and see and learn and be refreshed on again. And the first lesson is this, and it comes from Mark 9, verses 20 through 29. There is spiritual warfare and seriousness about children's ministry. Let's pick up in Mark 9, verse 20. So we continue on with the story that I introduced and it says they brought the boy to him. That is the boy that's afflicted by the spirit. He's got these seizures and things. And when he saw, that is, this boy with the spirit saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can do anything, if you can. Hmm. All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he came into the house his disciples began questioning him privately why could we not drive it out and he said to them this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Spiritual warfare and the seriousness even of children's ministry now there are several important themes we could take from this passage you wouldn't have to focus on children's ministry but i'm going to show you in a moment why i think that is a key theme first we could focus on the spiritually crippling nature of unbelief that is the importance the absolute essential nature of faith to see god at work now our faith doesn't have to be perfect but it requires faith to see god work in our lives and in the life of others we could focus on demonic affliction And the personal harm that it truly causes. I was talking to a guy just this week, a good Christian brother who is a um, a lay pastor. He's not paid, but he's a pastor in a church. And he was talking about, he said, you know, as you just read through the gospels, it's overwhelming to see how much demonic activity there is. And he said, "And I wonder why it is that the church doesn't really think about that or talk about that today. And I think there are some reasons why. But certainly we don't deny that, and we could think about that and talk about it. And we will for just a moment. We could think about the centrality of prayer, because that's the question the disciples ask. Why were we not able to do anything? And he says this kind can only come out by prayer. So we could think about spiritual empowerment as necessary for ministry. But what strikes me about this account, and the reason is, because it's in two more accounts just right after it, is that Jesus focuses on ministering to children. And so I think that's front and center, and I think it's good for us to think about it today. You know, there are many things we do in church just because we've always done them. We just, it's easy to keep doing the same old things. There are many things we do because the church folk or the people that come to visit kind of expect that you would have that. And so we say, well, we don't want to disappoint, so we do it. There are things that we do in church because the denomination leaders tell us we should do it because there's curriculum that they want to sell us because the church up the road is doing it and heaven knows we don't want the church up the road getting a, a, a step ahead of us, right? Okay, so there are lots of things that we do for those reasons, but I'll tell you those are not the best motivators and they're not good instructors for us. The best instructor for Christian ministry is Jesus himself and biblical directives. And so what I would say to you, if you ask, is children's ministry important? I said, well, Jesus is doing it right here at one of the most pivotal moments in the gospel of Mark. Jesus is ministering to children. And he shows us some things about ministering to children. And so children's ministry should not just be out on the fringe of the church. It's important. It is central. It's not the only thing. I would say it's not the main thing, but it is a main thing it is important you know and this passage awakens us to why it's important because look at the spiritual battles and warfare going on in this boy and in his family here's this boy and he's brought to Jesus by his father and the father says and Jesus affirms and the account bears it out that it is a spiritual affliction a demonic or unclean spirit that has seized this boy many times childhood so apparently he's not a small boy maybe he's 10 or 12 we don't know but it still calls him a boy in a later uh, verse so I think maybe he's probably 10 or 12 and this has been going on for years seizures convulsing and self-harm actually not self-harm evil harm done to him when he is at this vulnerable moment these This demon tries to seize him and throw him into the fire or into the water. And I'll tell you what, we see a father that's doing good. A father doing what a father should, caring for the need of his child. It's not that this kid is just bored. He doesn't just have behavioral issues. He doesn't just need to be occupied. He doesn't just need medical care. The boy's root problem, you cannot miss it from the passage, it is a spiritual problem. It's hard for us to think about that. A a little boy having this severe of a spiritual problem because we want to write off things and and kind of categorize it over here like, well, it's just a medical issue. Now, certainly there are times when people have very similar only medical issues, but in this case, it was a spiritual problem. The text makes that plain. And listen to this. We have a tendency to boil down children's ministry. To cookies and crafts crayons and coloring books right to just go you know just we just kind of occupy the children and we don't think about it as serious spiritual warfare here's a stark reminder that children too face full on spiritual attacks from the evil one we might be prone to write this off as some strange anomaly of ancient days Because, I don't know about you, but I can't say that I have for sure seen this kind of thing where I know ipso facto, yes, it is a spiritual demonic affliction. You know, I don't know. I don't think I've seen that like this. But does that mean that children are not prone to spiritual attacks today? Here's what I would submit to you. That the evil one has not changed his battle plan. That the evil one is still out to attack children, to gain entry into the lives, the hearts, the minds, the souls, the bodies of children, to destroy them. Are y'all awake? This is a fact. You look at the number of children in the womb murdered, just in this country alone, in the last decades millions upon millions upon millions of children destroyed I would say first and foremost that is an attack of the evil one what about all the mass shootings taking place in our schools and in other places I would say first and foremost attacks of the evil one what about the gender confusion and, and, and all of the bodily harm that is being done to kids under progressive ideologies today I mean, I was listening to a story of, of a, a lady who had fallen, as a younger lady, fallen prey to this transgender ideology and how quickly adults who should be out to care for children whisked her into surgery and hormone therapies and all of that. And she talked about it. She said it was just like scripts and, and, and brainwashing and all of this. But by the grace of God, she came out of that and was saved and has understood her identity as a woman made by her creator. But I would say to you that the gender confusion and the bodily harm being done to our kids, even by medical doctors who are sworn to take care of our kids, and in school systems and the like, I'll tell you where that comes from. First and foremost, from the pit of hell. And we can talk about it's Democrat, Republican, or whatever. It comes from the pit of hell. Because the evil one wants to destroy humans. And especially the most vulnerable and youngest among us. So children, like adults, are targets in Satan's spiritual assaults. Don't ever forget that. When you think about ministry to children... This story shows us the spiritual attack on this boy. This story shows us the disciples' impotence to do anything about it. See, the Bible says that the battle that we wage is not against flesh and blood. And so the tactics that we fight the battles with cannot be merely human or flesh and blood. There are powers and Dominions, spiritual powers, and things at play. Listen to this. We can't fight with mere fleshly weapons. Worldly things. Human ingenuity and tactics. They will not work in many cases like this. And Jesus says this kind of spirit can only come out by prayer. Spiritual empowerment given by God alone and direction by God alone. And the disciples had missed that. They were probably too busy wanting to win an argu- uh, too busy trying to win an argument. They didn't have the power that Jesus had. And Jesus does heal the boy, cast out the spirit. Let me make an application before we move on to the second thing as we think about the seriousness of spiritual warfare, even in children's ministry. Here's a good point of application, something you can do. We start Vacation Bible School next Sunday. Would you commit to pray? to pray. Jesus says that there are certain spiritual strongholds and things that will not happen apart from empowerment by prayer. If that doesn't motivate us to pray, like for an upcoming vacation Bible school, or to pray for our kids who are in Sunday school, or to pray for our kids in Awana, if that doesn't motivate us to pray, I don't know what will. Would you just write down, would you maybe set a time on your phone, and maybe we can post it on social media each day just a reminder to pray for the vacation bible school that there would be spiritual power still not sure y'all are awake spiritual power would you pray i'm asking you to do that as we prepare for vacation bible school prepare first of all on your knees let's pray that god would do great work you know I was encouraged just not long ago about some of our church members who talked about a family member, a young girl who was saved in, their, in her vacation Bible school. Eternal things happening. Just this last week, I was talking to a young man and, and his mother about salvation and about baptism. And I asked him about, had he accepted Christ as his savior? And he said, yes. And I said, tell me about that. And well, he said, it was here like the second time I came to Iwana Awana workers, does Awana matter? Do children matter? Do eternal things matter? Of course they do. Let's get on to the second lesson found in chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. The second lesson as we come to Jesus' approach to children's ministry is Jesus insisting that we welcome children and have Christ like humility. Jesus' is insistence on welcoming children and Christ like humility. Let's pick up in verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them, that is, his disciples, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the 12 and he said to them, "If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all." And taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, "Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me but him who sent me." Jesus insistence on welcoming children in Christ-like humility. So they leave that place where Jesus cast that demon out of the boy. Some other things happen. They're on their way. They go to Capernaum. And along the way, Jesus would be leading the pack because the rabbi always walked out front and the disciples would trail behind. And they're arguing along the way, and I'm sure Jesus heard uh, bits and pieces of it. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So they get to the house and he says, Hey, what were y'all talking about? What were y'all talking about on the road back there? Nothing. I mean, you know, this and that. This and that. (laughs) That's what we say around our house. This and that. And we're talking about who was going to be the greatest. They'd been taught by Jesus about humility. They had seen humility in the life of Jesus, but I'll tell you what, they had not embraced a life of humility and servanthood yet. And he wants to really drive this point home before the cross. Because really that's the way, best way to understand the cross of Jesus Christ is servanthood for the good of others. And total humility. Emptying Jesus, he emptied himself of everything he had for us. That's his way. That is the kingdom. They have their sights set on greatness and climbing the spiritual ladders and position and prominence, self-exaltation and self-serving. And Jesus says in the kingdom of God, things are not that way. If you want to be the greatest you become the least. The lower you go in servanthood and serving others, that is actually the way to a life of impact and greatness. So it's not ladder climbing, but it's servanthood, motivated by love for others. That is the way. And he wants them to get that point. And one of the great ways to get that point, Jesus grabs a a child that's there in the house and he brings that child front and center and he says, you know what? Whoever welcomes... A child like this is welcoming me. One child to welcome one child in my name is like welcoming me. And not only that, to welcome the father. If you want to have a spiritual awakening, go hang out with kids. (laughs) Go welcome kids. Jesus said, man, where you do that, I'm right there with you. Whoever welcomes this child welcomes me. And could it not be that Jesus continually, this is not a one time thing, Jesus wants us to continually stoop down off of our high perch and to look at the little ones and to stoop down on one knee or to get down in the dirt or the grass with them? What do they call that? Sitting Indian style? Well, you probably can't say that today. But, but, you know, get down with the kids, play with the kids, hang out with the kids. And do ministry down there. Mightn't it be that to continually do that helps us to stop getting our eyes set on the high things? But it is a way of continually humbling ourselves before the Lord. Humility is not just a mindset. It is that. But it bears itself out in action. Humbling yourself. So continually go before these little children Humble yourselves. A great example of that, there was a, a, a theologian named Henry Nowen. He was teaching uh, uh, theology, I believe it was, at one of the Ivy League schools. I mean, this guy had credentials and had letters a mile long, wrote books and did all of these things. And he's, I was reading this, I think it's the Prodigal Son book that he wrote, but I can't recall. But he was talking about how he came to a point where he felt like the Lord was actually calling him to give up his academic post, this thing had a lot of prestige to give up his academic post and go live in a community with the developmentally disabled people. Many of these could not even speak, they, 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 they were maybe had uh, you know the, the vocabulary and the mental capacities of maybe a five or six year old and he said he felt like the Lord was calling to the, him to that and he said you know, the, the book, and it really pierced my heart. He said, I just couldn't hardly do it to give up all that I had worked for. And he said, but over time, he knew that the Lord was calling him to leave his post, to leave behind his degrees and his academics, and to go serve with the least of these. And man, for me, that was a great example and a reminder of a couple of things. Number one, We can hide behind Jesus and say we're doing ministry, you know, if we talk about theology or we talk about the Bible, but it's very likely that those things could be a way of exalting ourselves. And Jesus wants us to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves before him and before others. His way is different. You know, we had a great event here Wednesday night. A lot of kids, a lot of family, youth, and uh, different ones of all ages and it was just, a, it was just a, a fun event. Fried pies always help, right? Snow cones always help make a fun event, but it was just a fun event. I appreciate the turnout and all the people that work to do that. But I want to ask you a question if you were here. My question is not which fried pie did you like the best, the lemon was mine. Did you talk to one child? Adults that are here... Did you take the time to speak to a child, to get down on their level, to care about them, to ask their name, to play with them, to just talk with them, anything? It's just just a little bit of a rhetorical question, something to think about. I tell you, it's so easy to get into doing all the stuff that we forget the very people we're supposedly doing these things for. And I found myself just watching some of the children. Just kind of there. One in particular. Just in this little bubble. And I never saw one person talk to him. Now I will say, I tried to talk to him and he didn't want to talk, okay? <laughs> hey. But I tried. I didn't see anybody else try. Now I don't say that as some kind of scathing rebuke. I say that as it's easy to lose sight of what we're supposed to be doing. And Jesus says to welcome people in my name. To welcome people. Hospitality, speak to them. Get to know them. Don't get so bogged down in the activity that you sweep to the side the people. You know, little children don't have checkbooks, and so preachers are real quick to walk past the little child and go to the parent or whatever. They don't have checkbooks. They don't wield power. They're easy to overlook. And Jesus tells us, and hey, get this. If you don't get anything else, we are not to overlook them. In the church, as Jesus' people, we are to welcome the least of these, welcome those who are easily overlooked, especially children. I read a great quote in a book, an article. It was actually a book review about children's ministry and talking about this theme of welcoming kids for Jesus' sake. Listen to this real quick before we move on to the third thing. Here's what he writes. We express the gospel's call to welcome children in Jesus' name by valuing children enough to build a relationship with them. For example, remembering a child's name is more powerful than we realize. It communicates you're part of this community, and I was expecting you. Does it matter that we have a great Bible lesson or snack if we're too lazy to learn names? We should work hard to do both. If you work in children's ministry, learn their names, get to know them, speak to them. Hey, listen, you know, if I, if I was Peter, I'd be like, Jesus, we got women to do children's ministry. What, what, what's the big deal here, right? That's, that's for women or for those who uh, uh, maybe have kids in the program. That's who's supposed to do children's ministry. And Jesus brings them front and center to the twelve. These are the guys that are going to lead the church going forward. And he says, you care about children. You care about them. And I think, surely, if Peter, James, and John are supposed to care about children, folk, you and I are supposed to care about children, especially when they come into this place. Because you are an ambassador or representative of Jesus Christ in the eyes of that child. And what you do with them... Or don't do. When you overlook, pass by, pat on the head, kick in the pants. Whatever you do, they receive that as being done as if by Jesus. I read a startling thing that kids age 4 to 14, when they come into this church, man, it almost, whatever happens there, it pretty much cements their view of church and the things of God. And many have terrible experiences. And that is hard hurdle to overcome it's just a reminder that we're jesus ambassadors even to little bitty kids they matter so that gets us to the third and final lesson here's a warning from jesus about children and about the kingdom of god we'll move ahead to chapter 10 verses 13 through 16 see children 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 back to back to back these accounts show us jesus teaching us about children's ministry. Uh, chapter 10 verse 13 this is the last one and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them that is the parents were bringing their kids so that jesus could lay his hands as blessing them but the disciples rebuked them but when jesus saw this he was indignant and he said to them permit the children to come to me do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying his hands on them. Here's a warning from Jesus about children and about the kingdom of God. And in spite of all of this, account after account of Jesus caring for children, Jesus healing children, Jesus saying, Welcome, children, in my name. Here come a bunch of parents bringing their rowdy little hooligans to Jesus. And here's the disciples lining up like some kind of bodyguards and bouncers and go, get that kid out of here. No, you're not bringing them to Jesus. And you think, these guys are so thick-headed. They don't get it. I mean, it was just last chapter, guys. It was just last chapter. Just a day or two ago, Jesus is teaching you, and they're going, no, get those kids out of here. And Jesus becomes indignant. He's emotionally incensed. I mean, he's, he is upset. He's disturbed. He's angry. And he rebukes the disciples. And there's a two-edged rebuke here. It's two parts. He gives them a double warning. A do and a don't. And here's what he says. You let those children come to me. Let them through. As gatekeepers of my church and my kingdom... You do everything you can to give access to me, to the children who come. So do let them come, and don't you stop them. Don't you hinder them. Don't hinder the children who come to me. I want to ask you a question. It's just a little assessment for our church and where we're at. And As much as you know, you may not be involved in children's ministry, but you should be. And that can even be right out here in the foyer. It could be helping them cross the road. You can be involved in ministering to kids in Jesus' name. But here's some questions for us about children's ministry. Because I'll tell you, I don't want to be the the, uh, butt of a stinking rebuke from Jesus. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. So we ask this question, these questions. Are we clearing the way for little children to come to Jesus? Are we doing what we can do in a positive way to bring children straight to Jesus? Conversely, the don't, are we being a hindrance? Are we stopping, are we doing anything that would keep the little children who would come to Jesus from coming to him? What are some of the ways we might hinder them? Think about that. What are some ways that we could hinder in the church little children from coming to Jesus? I thought about as a pastor. One way is we just don't even think about them and we communicate way over their heads all the time and we don't say anything in a way that's meaningful we write them off as too young to understand too young to come to Jesus we marginalize them because they're not as important as some who might uh, write checks or join the church or something like that we might just be personally indifferent rude or downright mean to a kid I'll never forget I shouldn't tell on myself it wasn't a kid so I don't think it applies it was a youth it was a teenager I'll never forget, we were doing a wana, and we actually had junior high Awana and I was the junior high Awana youth leader. And I got um, assigned, I was gonna say trapped, but I got assigned in a little, that room was about like five feet by five feet. And I was in there with a group of eighth grade boys. And man, they'd been in school all day and they were rowdy and they weren't wanting to hear about Awana and and, and and what the book had to say. And man, I just, I had my belly full of it. And I just laid into them. Now, um, several of them went to church there and I knew their parents were going to continue making them go to church there. So hey, no biggie. Actually, those boys I had a relationship with. I was their youth pastor. But there was one boy they'd been bringing in. He had no one that, in his family that wanted to bring him to church. And uh, my rebuke was especially stinging to him. And he never came back. Never came back. Now, his behavior was out of bounds and out of line. But I'll tell you, that doesn't excuse the fact that I lost my temper. I lost my cool. I was downright mean and rude, I think. And I think that was a way that I probably hindered a young man from continuing to come. And who knows, maybe coming to the Lord. So kids do matter. It matters how we speak to them, That we don't. As ambassadors of Jesus, I would just encourage you to don't look over those little tykes. Don't look over them. Look at them. Look them in the eye. Get down on their level. Speak to them, love them like Jesus. Because, listen to this, Jesus says actually it's not all just for them. Children bring a blessing to us. And he says, Jesus tells them, he said I'm going to tell you something. He brings this little kid up and he says there is nobody going to enter into the kingdom of heaven unless they receive the kingdom like a little child. Little children teach us about faith. Children have faith. They can exercise faith in Jesus Christ. And I tell you, when you talk with a kid who has trusted Jesus, it's just this really pure, I mean, yeah, I just think, is Jesus real? Yeah. Did he die on the cross? Yeah. Do you have sin in your life? Uh, yeah. And they, yeah, yeah. And I want to go to heaven. And I want to be with Jesus. I want to be made right. You know, yeah, instead said of an adult. Well, let's define sin. You know, and, and and there's all these things, and there's all these exceptions and all of that, and I tell you, you, you go and you see a little child, and they just accept things by faith. They teach us about faith, and so there is a blessing, a spiritual blessing for us when we have children as a part of our church and front and center in the ministry, because children teach us about the kind of faith that saves. All right? I don't know how you close a uh, sermon on children's ministry exactly. But here's what I think would be the best way to do what Jesus did at the close of this passage, which is to bless the children. So the parents had brought all of these kids to Jesus so that he could, man, could love on them and hug them and speak a blessing. And words are powerful. So here's what I want to do today. I don't know. I know there's at least a few kids here. Here's what I want to do today. I want us as disciples, as the church, to speak a word of blessing to the children that are here in our midst. And here's how I want to do it. I want to ask, if if you're here as a parent or grandparent or even just, you know, know, nice neighbor or babysitter or whatever, and you've got a kid with you today that's 12 or under, would you just grab them uh, in a nice way, polite way, a, a, a gentle way? and bring them up here. You come with them. I want all of our children to come forward that would be willing with their parent or loved one or whoever brought you. Hey, if you're a kiddo and you came by yourself, come by yourself. Come on up here. Just just right here to face the congregation. All right, here we, here we come. Y'all come on up here. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Who else? Anybody hiding under the pews? (laughs) Huh? Got any any more? Uh, Huh? Okay, well, they're coming. We, uh, all of our children, we want you to know that we love you, that Jesus loves you, even loves your stuffed animal. And we're glad that you come to First Baptist Church of Valley Springs. Isn't that right? We got some more coming? Huh? 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 We don't know. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want the congregation to stand. Clayton's going to put a blessing from Numbers chapter 6. This is the blessing that um, the Lord told the Israelites to bless Aaron and his sons, to bless the children even with this blessing. It's a beautiful blessing. And I want us to read it together line by line as a blessing to these children. Now, hey, parent or grandparent or whoever, loved one, if you have your kid, child, teenager, adult kid right there around you, just, yes, even your husband that acts like a kid, I don't care. <laughs> hey, you speak this blessing to them just and just stick your arm on their shoulder or just put your arm around them as a, as a way to remind them that you are speaking this blessing to them as well. So here come some more. We are so glad that these beautiful girls are here. Y'all come up here. You want to stand with me? All right. We're glad that you're here. We want to speak a blessing. So let's do that together from the screen. Read with me The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's pray for these children, Then John's going to close us with some announcements. Father, today, we are thankful for little children who bring so much joy, who are so vulnerable, and at many points, we see the evil one attacking these little children. God, we want to stand with you in loving children. So help us, empower us, give us a heart of compassion that's just like Jesus's. And empower us to have the ability, the power that comes only from you, to battle the spiritual battles and warfare of this day. Help us to stand and to stand boldly, but not just in our own flesh and strength and our own bluster, but Lord, in the Spirit's empowerment to help children to overcome the battles that they face. Thank you for the children of this church and those who have come and those who are standing even here today, God. We ask that you would do what this blessing says to bless them, to keep them. Lord, that your radiant face would shine on them. Give them peace. Give them a life that is full of your peace and love. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.